This is Ushers to Ashes, a podcast about the other 80s. Having reminisced about the impact and legacy of The Young Ones in the last episode, we turn our attention to Australian comedy in the 1980s. Sketch comedy dominated Australian television during this time, from the political satire of The Gillies Report to the undergraduate shenanigans of The Degeneration, Australian comedy revelled in taking the piss out of cultural stereotypes. That said, insipid situation comedies like Hey Dad were also popular during the latter half of the decade. In this episode, we focus on two strains of alternative humour in the form of Australia, You're Standing In It and Wogs Out of Work, the latter paving the way for a new brand of non-Anglo comedians. I mean, my memory of that time in terms of Australian comedy was that there was a lot of sketch comedy yeah. and stuff on the ABC. And I remember a show called Australia, you're standing in Oh, it. yes, of course. There were two characters that I really enjoyed. Tim and Debbie, who mm. used to have this routine called Brain Space. That's right. <laughs> Brain Space. Hi. Welcome to Brain Space, right? Um, this week, Tim is going to lead a discussion on taxation. Right. Um, um, like, Tim and I have chosen not to pay taxation in the plebeian sense of the word tax. As a comment, right? right. Not because of the money. Right. <laughs> like, what we pay is a really special, unique cerebral tax. Cerebral so. tax, right, Debbie. I don't think you know. I know, this. I know. I thought I know. you might. Um, but most people only ever tax one-eighth of their brain space, right? right? right. Which leaves, I mean, it's just the tip of the cerebral iceberg, wow. right? right? Which leaves the other seven-eighths of the cerebral iceberg lying below the plimsoll line of the subconsciousness. Right? right? And right. just sitting there, wasting right. time. Right, twiddling right. its lobes. Right, <laughs> where you know, it could be creatively thinking. I mean, if you put the cerebral iceberg in a think tank bottom of the harbour type situation. Right. You could be thinking of incredible ways to beat the fascist monetarist taxation system, right? I know, system, I know, right? I know. And, but, but which the, the, so-called the, the, um, socialist the, realist government, which we longed the, for for so long, right, um, doesn't realise because they're not marine economists. I know. <laughs> and it was almost this sort of piss take of our generation, oh, which I, I, I found um, incredibly funny. And then Sorry, go Well, on. I was going to say, like, it just occurred to me that the way they spoke was like the oral equivalent of that sort of half heavy lidded, you know, I'm superior to you kind of thing. <laughs> Those sorts of tones. Like, very affected in a urban voices. It's, it's the kind of thing that people, the kind of way of speaking that people, especially art students like we were, to 
like try and get some sort of instant sophistication urbanity. So you couldn't speak like that or anything like, you know, even if you came from Mullum, I can't get the user start talking like that, you know. And I don't know if you know, but that's a microphone. <laughs> Definitely. They would be horrified if you described them as upwardly mobile, but that's effectively what they were trying to yeah. be. So that was that sort of complexity there. So that basically what they were trying to um, affect was sophistication. That they're the only people, they're the smartest people in the room. They're the ones who know all of the cultural references. They're the ones who don't know if you know, but this is important. They also had, they, they branched out. I think they had an album, which is basically spoken word, which is like a lot of brain space in, like a, on two sides of an LP. But also for a little while, they, um, they hosted a film night on the ABC where they would bullshit about the film. And they're, they're, they're real movies, like, but they were sort of odd choices, like there was an old pirate movie, something like that. And they would really talk about like who was the composer of the score or whatever. Um, but they do it in Timmy Debbie style. Um, I don't remember that being particularly sharp, but the first flush of it in Australia, you're standing in it, which is almost all I remember of that show as well. Well, there were other characters like the Dodgy Brothers. Oh, yeah, um, of course. And, like uh, a late night um, second-hand car dealer type. That's right. But they were into everything. They were into sort of cat neuter. I'm Wayne Dodgy. And I'm Ron. He's Arthur. And we're gone crazy here at Dodgy Brothers. Yes, crazy, crazy, crazy. If it's tree grubbing, burning off, big jobs, small jobs, grummet reclamation, antique restoration, unsightly lumps reallocated, think of Dodgy Brothers. Child minding, we'll give it a bash. A bash. Uh, uh, it was very much sketch comedy. Yeah, definitely. And they would satirise film clips as well. Mm. So they loved... Uh, doing parodies of pop songs, yeah. not quite Weird Al style, but, you know, That's a right. very visual um, form of humour. The Dodgy Brothers were sort of slapstick. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that was on the ABC, and that was one of the few comedy shows, I think, that really... Um, Got to the demographic? Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. I used to love the Gillies Report, but that was far more conventional. Far more, well, yeah, no, it was conventional. Let's call a spade a spade. It wasn't in imitation of, but of the same zeitgeist as not the nine o'clock news, which were all Cambridge Footlights people, uh, like Rowan Atkinson and Griff Reese Jones, Mel Smith, if you remember that yeah, show, yeah. which is the same kind of thing. But Australia standing in it had far more absurdism to it, less interest in being um, current affairs, sending up current affairs, apart from you know the things like um, Human League type songs you know which they would do also um, because i have the um indelible pleasure of introducing a really amazing group um which have recorded a really out of the window new single right um the group duress duress the single <laughs> reflections right um might i note that the single was recorded in london um mixed in berlin edited in Belgium, um, the video was shot in Amsterdam, um, the makeup was done in New York, um, and the hair, the hair was by Lawrence of Italy in West Preston, wow. <laughs> okay. um, I just ask you now to um, drool over Duress Duress Reflections.
Gillies' report was fantastic, and Max Gillies was a fantastic impersonator, yes. and his impersonation of Bob Hawke was just spot of on. Of course, yeah, yeah. So it was. I always watched it. I loved mm. it, and I and I and it was a really compelling form of political mm. satire too. I think he did a, a good line in. Uh, Joe Bielke Peterson. Too. Oh, definitely. New Zealand and their government, they, they want a trade war. Well, for years and years, they run their drugs along good Queensland beaches. They, they come here like other business. My goodness, to get away from all those taxes. We bent over backwards to help them. And, well, I'll, I'll, I'll put a stop to that. Queensland drugs for Queenslanders. That's what our police are shooting at. You know, if you take with one hand, you give with the other hand. Tied behind your back, everybody knows that. And my goodness, if they think we'll wear that, well, they're crackers. They're crackers, that's what they crack. Um, he did Hawk really well because Hawk was prime minister then, and he just got him. The thing was, I, I saw Maxilis live in a, a, a couple of um, uh, extended monologues at um, La Boite Theatre in uh, in Brisbane, and he was a consummate actor. And so, if you r wrote him well enough, you had people like Patrick Cook and John Clark on the the writing team. You're not going to get much better than that at the time. So, not a foot wrong in those things. Um, but yeah, he's, he's, there was there's one about Queensland politics with uh, where he's doing Russ Hins, you know, like whirling around on like an office chair. With him. But definitely from another generation. And really, I think Max Gillies was part of that theatre revolution in Carlton, came oh, out of the Pram yeah. Factory and that, yeah. that sort of thing. So I think he's probably old enough to be, you know, he, he would be of the same vintage as our parents, perhaps. Mm. Um, David Williamson era. That's right. Yeah. So the Gillies report really, while I found it compelling, it didn't have that same youth orientation that these Definitely. other shows yeah. did have. That's what it's missing. The universities did seem to spawn a lot of comedy all over the world, I think. But mm -hmm. the other memory I have of 80s comedy is like the D-Generation, which came yeah. out of Melbourne University. Mm. The delegate from Australia. Oh, crikey, that's me. Yeah, hold your horses, let a man get organised. Chairman of the International Olympic Federation. <coughs> Fellow members, wogs, spicks, stagos, greaseballs, krauts, assorted slaves, yids, jips, lebos, blackies and friends. I hope I haven't offended anyone by leaving them out. Well, today is a very proud day for me. It's not every day that a man's son turns 21... Oh, hang on. Yeah, here we are. With the games barely a year away, you're no doubt flat tech trying to come up with a suitable venue. Now, we've heard a whisper that Korea might be on the list, but let's look at this objectively. They eat their dogs. I was never a huge fan of theirs. Okay. Uh, what, what, do you remember? Yeah, that was one of the years that I didn't have a TV. Uh -huh. um, so I saw a few here and there, and I, I enjoyed it a lot. It, it, but it, um, it was like... Uh, incidentally funny because the format was uh, <clears throat> pretty standard like it's a university review turned into a TV show comedy they did a lot better in the early 90s with the thing called The Late Show um, which had different new blood in it like Judith Lucy and people like that in it and then they moved on to greater sophistication with things like Frontline etc in we're, we're getting deeper into the 90s now but, so I can't really talk about that much, but I do remember on the other side of it, there was, um, I, I couldn't believe how anachronistic it was. There was a show called Hey Dad, which is like the, the put-upon 
middle class dad with his family and they had the weird neighbor what was his name stretch or bones or something he had one of those nicknames like that and it was like something from the 1950s put into the 1980s so it's really just the costumes that were different and there would be moments i i, I watched the first one just because i didn't know anything about it and that was the last one i watched stretch was his name right i think um because he would like look at the camera the dad and say well how can i cope with all of this going on it's no oh, again like young ones that never happened like punk never happened hey dad it's not fair i can't sleep another night in my room good morning jenny my youngest how are you this morning i'm fine thank you what can i do for you you could get me another room the paint smell in mine is terrible and the paint is finished in jenny's room yet mr kelly no oh, they put the undercoat on but they reckon it's going to take three days to dry get my room painted anyway dad well jenny i seem to remember somebody making chocolate milkshakes in there and forgetting to put the lid on the blender <laughs> do you remember that jenny yeah but i said i'm sorry now that to me was the same as the the more promoted sketch comedy australian sketch comedy which was the comedy company which is all catchphrases like there'd be a a, a thing where the, a guy would talk to the postman the person would have all these silly little theories and things like that. Was that the show with Con the Fruitier? Yeah, that's it. A couple of days. Mark that, Mitchell, yeah. Right. Which, all of his characters. Right, okay. Well, that's interesting. That's a kind of maybe a good segue mm. into another, what I would call landmark mm-hmm. comedy event in Australia, Wogs Out of Work. Yeah. Now you... have got a personal connection. Yes. Okay. Wogs Out of Work, as you informed me, came out of Rusden and... It uh, proved, whether it was just a standalone show or the comedy festival, you can enlighten me, successful, really, really successful. And I was got off the dole in 1987 to, um, as, as a kind of a, uh, I did like proper work in a, uh, an arts festival, the Italian arts festival, just up here on Victoria Parade. I came into my job at the Universal at the time when Wogs Out of Work was uh, exploding. Every night was a full house. And that was for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And then it moved to a bigger venue in the Athenaeum, which is where I saw it on a complimentary ticket. I never actually befriended or was befriended by the three principals in there, but I knew them to say hello to. And so who were these people? Well, Nick Giannopoulos. Uh, Simon Palomares and Maria Portesi. I think that they definitely deserve credit for breaking the Anglo domination mm-hmm. of comedy. Where do you think you're going? If you must know, I'm going into the kitchen to fix your bloody tap. Tap? You're not putting your greasy wog hands on my tap. <laughs> <laughs> to have an Aussie call an Italian a wog on television and to turn it into comedy, I thought was unique. It made me think, wow, if you can get away with that, then imagine the possibilities. Now, I went nightly, my husband worked nightly, much better like this. The, the children never alone, you know, sometimes my husband with the children, sometimes me with the children, much better, much better, much better. How old are you children, signora? Uh, 19 and 24. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just beautiful, the whole thing, the, everything about it, you there know, was an energy about it. People found out so quickly about this show. The show sold out 
so we had to extend. And in that third week, once we extended the word had got out, my happiest moment was when I heard that Monaro car horn outside the theatre. Because the wogs from the suburbs had arrived. I think one of the distinctive things about alternative culture in Australia is that it is very, very white. Yeah, true. And uh, that goes for music as well as for comedy and film and any other kind of cultural activity you care to mention. In the 1980s, it was very rare to see a person of colour or a person of non-Anglo ethnicity on the screen, on the mm. stage, on the radio. There were people, there were figures, but they were outliers and mm. you were made very aware that what you was, if someone had brown skin or someone was Italian or Greek, this was kind of unusual. Yeah. What Wogs Out of Work did was that they had agency. They decided to make work which was basically for themselves and for their communities and families. And I think it also then took off because they were raising issues about Australian racism in a playful way. Mm. Mm. Um, and they were taking the piss out of themselves and mm. their parents' generations. I mean, the experience growing up in a non-Anglo family is very, very different to the sort of family that you would see depicted on a show like Hey Dad. Yeah, definitely, yeah. So yeah. there were no avenues for people to see themselves and see the distinctive aspects of what it meant to be a young person growing up in an Italian family or mm -hmm. a Greek family. So this is why I think Wog's Art of Work was really important. It was interesting when you showed me that clip of the... Um, Degeneration, taking the piss out yeah, of it, which that. was fascinating. It made me laugh. The principal is Italian, Santo Chilara. Right. Now, Santo does a, a commendable job, but there are other people in that sketch where, you know, it kind of, it was almost like blackface, you know. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, I can see, but I, the, the motivation for that one um, was just, it was bitchiness. It was bitchiness, but also it was funny in the sense that Nick Giannopoulos uh, tried to trademark the term yeah, wog. Yeah. It's interesting to get his uh, story, but I think what the degeneration were doing were they they were kind of perhaps satirizing, you know, a money grabbing yeah. exercise. I think Nick felt that he was being ripped off. Everyone was sort of like jumping on the wog bandwagon. Okay. They tore poppy in basically with that, but there was the sense that that was deserved. Because Santa Cellaro had worked with him in a later uh, Athenaeum show. And, um, and I can say that he, Nick Giannopoulos is a very personable guy, but he's also one of those guys who's really not behind in being coming forward. You know, like very much, I will sell myself here. Uh, very image conscious and um, uh, aggressively uh, self-promoting. Not going to say anything beyond that about his character because that's something I can safely say. And uh, there was there would have been a sense that Chilaro was had like a bone to pick because it's just relentless that thing. It's it is very funny, it is. but it's it yeah. is relentless. Yeah. Yeah. The only northern suburb of Brunswick, full of wogs, spicks, grease balls. Who would have dared call these new Australians those names ten years ago? But now everything is sweet, mate. 
thanks to this young, zany ethnic comedian, Lou Interligi, or as he's known to his Roman legion of fans, Alfonso Capricciosa, Dago is not a dirty word. You can take the boy out of Brunswick, but you can't take Brunswick out of the boy. I feel really humble when I'm with my people, when, I, when I'm talking with my fans. They don't tell me that they love me. They don't have to. I, I can feel the respect. But believe it or not, I'm the same person that I've always been. I haven't changed at all, not, not a bit, not a bit. Uh, making people laugh, it's always been in my blood, all the time. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, I used to mind my mum's Dean Martin records in the lounge room. But, you know, the, another interesting thing about Wog's Out of Work was that there was this sort of explosion. Uh, Nick Giannopoulos certainly ran with the concept. He made a feature film mm -hmm. which was successful in Australia, if not in other markets. Mm -hmm. uh, he had terrible TV show called Acropolis Now. It was awful. Um, which, which they sent up in the Tomorrow sketch. Yeah. And then he disappeared. In many ways, it was, when you look at what's on TV today, it's like the young ones never happened. Mm. Uh, you could say the same for this mini explosion of like so-called ethnic humour that we have this emerge in the late 1980s and then by the middle of the 1990s, it's basically over. Mm. And we revert back to the neighbours default of white people on Australian oh, TV. Okay. So the inclusion's gone. The inclusion's yeah. gone. I mean, the only thing, the only place where you... Interestingly, I saw an episode of... Uh, no, I think it was maybe a film, Fat Pizza oh, right. versus Housos. <laughs> and Nick Giannopoulos plays a, a Melbourne cabbie. He does a cameo okay. role. You do it, eh? You make the fucking wrong hook turn. What are you talking about? Hook turn. Well, you know, what are you talking about? Uh, you from Sydney? Hey, it's Sydney pooker. Right, just watch it, all right? Hey, in Melbourne we have hook turn, all right? Because of trams. Do you know fucking tram? Nah, I don't know what a tram is, mate. It could be a car or it could be a train. It's all hokey to me, mate. Here, here, Melbourne, because you are in Melbourne. Do you know where the fuck you are, mate? Are you finished? Do you know where the fuck you are? Are you finished yet? Melbourne. Here because of tram fucking. When you want to turn right, you have to go to the left. And then you turn right. You understand me fucking? Go left to go right. What are you a nut? Fat Pizza and Houses is this sort of anarchic comedy show that SBS, I think, nurtured. It's been on now for a long time. But that's the only other place I think you see ethnic people and working class mm -hmm. Aussies. They, the, the Australian characters come in for uh, as much satire as anyone else. Mm -hmm. But Nick Giannopoulos like, makes this sort of like cameo um, in this show. But his career, I don't think, went anywhere mm -hmm. after Wog's Out of Work. Well, maybe it didn't need to because he did really uh, stick to it. I just, I also remember um, in any of the the social pages of whatever I used to read as in terms of newspapers, etc. There wasn't one that didn't have him grinning, you know, with this like blinding yeah. toothy smile in next to someone famous as well. Yeah. And right at the front. I think that got to people a lot. Yeah. More. If there is a legacy that, uh, Wog's Out of Work has bestowed to the future, it might manifest in shows like Fear of a Brown Planet. Mm -hmm. And there are two comics that were responsible for this. Amir 
Rahman and Nazim Hussain. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoy their stuff. It's very political, very pointed. They do stand up, but they also do sketch comedy. And uh, interestingly, Nazim Hussain was mistaken for Walid Ali when Walid Ali was uh, when he got the gig on the project mm -hmm. and the age ran a story about Walid becoming a host, but they used it. They used um, <laughs> Nazim Hussein's oh. picture. So Nazim turns up um, for work at the project. <laughs> <laughs> and so Walid and Nazim did this kind of like sketch. Uh -huh. So, uh, oh, I see that they did a lockdown thing as well, didn't they? Probably, yes. yeah. yeah. But if you're not aware of their stuff, it's well worth um, looking at. I love talking to white people. I love talking to white people, especially about racism in Australia, right? Because no matter what, without fail, white people will always have the most ridiculous responses to anything a brown person says about race, right? Like you could say something simple. Like, oh, yeah, it's pretty racist nowadays. And a white person will correct you like you've said something wrong or like you don't understand Australian history. A white person will always say something like, oh, Nazim, you see, you just don't understand Australian history. You just don't understand how things have always worked here. You see, everybody had it tough. Everybody had it tough when the Greeks and Italians came here. They had it tough when the Asians, the Vietnamese came here. They had it tough when the East Africans came here. They had it tough too. So... You see, Nazim, um, it's just your turn. It's just your turn. Okay, so white people, um, that's not a comforting story. That's a story about a society that doesn't know how to stop being racist. It's even worse, right, when Indian Uncle Coconuts buy into that crap and like, ah, oh, don't worry, man, don't worry, everybody had that, everybody had it. When the Greeks and Italians came here, they had that. When the Vietnamese came here, they had that. When the Japanese came here, they had that. When the Lebanese came here, they had that. When the Palestinians came here, they had that. When the Aborigines came here, they had that. Everybody had that, everybody had that, man. It's okay, man. It's okay. It's like the down it's like the initiation into a club, man. It's like the down payment, man. Once we make the payment, we can get down. <laughs> what's, the, what's the Indian uncle? He's always telling me off about, about our show and how we make so much fun of white people. He's like, Nazim, you and Ahmed always making fun of white people, always making fun of the white man. Okay, Nazim, I accept. White man has done some bad things. Okay, white man has done many bad things. <laughs> but you see, it's in their blood. But you see, White man has also done some fantastic things. No, white man has done many fantastic things. We are both Sri Lankan, Nazim. If it wasn't for the white man, we would not have many things in Sri Lanka. You see, white man come to Sri Lanka, white man build roads. White man come to Sri Lanka, white man build infrastructure. White man come to Sri Lanka, white man build irrigation. White man come to Sri Lanka, white man build hospital. White man come to Sri Lanka, white man build many things. Oh, just take it easy, uncle. Pretty sure white people didn't build these things. Pretty sure brown people did, <laughs> for free, <laughs> as slaves. I think Australian TV is changing. I think um, Australian comedy is more diverse than it used to be. Mm -hmm. I think there are a lot of shows like um, Please Like Me. Yeah. You know, the other thing we should say about this era of comedy in the 1980s was that it was incredibly heterosexual. Yeah, true. You don't see um, LGBTQI people ever really 
unless, of course, I mean, there was that tradition in Britain where of campiness, they, yeah. of campiness yeah. yeah, from the Carry On films, John Inman, yeah, uh, the the mincing. Lancy that's right, Lancy. and that's all you ever saw. Mm. And they they dealt in those sorts of stereotypes. Yeah. So, I think things have changed, and there, and certainly we've seen a lot more women uh, mm. in comedy since the nineteen eighties. I mean, Judith Lucy, for example, began. She moved to Melbourne to get into comedy and sort of caught the. The, the the comedy wave that was established in the late eighties yeah. in clubs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a weird thing. Sometimes you know, I remember in the eighties there used to be a show called The Golden Years of Television, mm-hmm. which I loved, and you would see these um, programs from the the fifties, yeah. and I was just there. I loved it. I'm not sure all of those shows were particularly good, but what was interesting was that. They were from another time. Yeah. There is something to be said for the way in which old television shows also provide us with a path into the unconscious mm-hmm. of a world that now no, no longer exists. Okay. And I think that was the fascinating thing for me, just right. looking at clothes, looking at the dynamics. You know, I'm always intrigued by the way in which language is used in old films. You know. Um, the slang, mm-hmm. uh, all of that is just of interest, uh, regardless of whether the, the, the narrative is engaging or not. Mm-hmm.